This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nomad Futurist. This is your co-host, Nabil Mahmood from Kona, Hawaii. This is your co-host, Philip Cobbins from Montclair, New Jersey. And this is Scott Brickshire here in Silicon Valley. Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I've been trying to get you on this podcast for a couple of years now. It's been an act of God, but here we are. So before we get started, do you mind quickly introducing yourself to our audience? What do you do sure. and what is Cope and Colo? I'm Scott Brookshire, co-founder and CTO of OpenColo. We're a boutique data center located in the heart of Silicon Valley. And we're independent. We're grassroots. We're doing our data center our way. And I've been doing data center stuff for about 20 years. But OpenColo is a newer brand of our bigger arm called Energy Group Networks. When I visited the data center last time, I could tell it's different than everybody else. You can literally drop a hamburger in his data center and pick it up. It will still be fun. But before yeah. we get into all the nitty gritty stuff about OpenColo and what you're doing, let's step back in time a little bit. You went to the University of Silicon Valley? Cogswell College originally, but yeah. And they yeah. changed their team. But yeah, I have an art degree, ironically. <laughs> what art in particular? It was like computer art. So basically, instead of using a paintbrush, you were using a computer. So it was like early days of like computer animation, special effects, that type of stuff. I feel like I'm a right left brain person, so I can sense from both sides. So when I build something, it's got to be super functional, but it also needs to look amazing. And it's kind of funny because in the data center world, our site is super functional, but super immaculately beautiful at the same time. <laughs> the original Microsoft Paint artist. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, but more like Photoshop, like 3.5 or something. <laughs> right. When you were a kid, did you want to be an artist? Well, did you grow up in the Silicon Valley? No, I actually grew up in Southern California in the San Fernando Valley. And honestly, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So finance, economics came super easy. And I decided maybe I should do something that's hard in college. So maybe I'll do art. I was entrepreneurial even in college. I kind of paid for college by doing my own stuff. So it was a natural thing somewhat. Were your parents in finance? Is that what brought you out? My dad is an engineer. My grandfather's an engineer. There's tons of engineers, entrepreneurial in spirit. So I don't know what I really felt, to be honest. I just went on a journey. Yeah. Was there a particular engineering discipline that your family was in? My dad and my grandfather, they did kind of chemistry stuff regarding space technology, parties aircraft. So everything they dumb. They sound really dumb. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyways, like I'm more sensing than they are and I'm a left-handed, so I still have that right-left brain kind of mindset. So you go to college, pick up yeah. art as a major, and then you graduated. How did you end up picking technology as a sector of choice? What was the right. driving force behind it? In college, I kind of had to pay for my way through college and I was doing web development on the side to kind of pay the bills. And this is kind of super early internet and I just started building sites for people. And then I got an opportunity to potentially work on a big movie. And then I'm like, wait, I have to start at the very bottom, but I have this business idea that's actually taken off. So maybe I got to keep on pursuing this internet thing. So I started hosting some servers in a data center over in uh, Fremont and the rest is almost history. It's kind of crazy. I started from like maybe a quarter cabinet and 256 megabits or kilobits per second with Hurricane Electric and 
here we are today. <laughs> At that point in time, you had relocated to the Bay Area? Yeah. So after high school, I came to the Bay Area for college and then I never left. So I also met my wife there. So that also helped to kind of keep us yeah. here. So this web development that you were doing, that's back in the HTML 1.0. HTML 0.1. Uh, Correct. <laughs> yeah. So the UX UI wasn't really at the core back in the late 90s. How did you get exposed to getting engaged in the web development piece? I felt that was just an easy thing at the time. Like there wasn't a lot of really good websites. People were trying to figure out web 2.0 and having database backends and responsive front ends. Like I wouldn't even say responsive nowadays, but responsive light. And it just, hey, talk to one company, another company. Hey, we can help you with a cool website. And then... I started referring all these companies to host with other registrars and online websites and different servers. I'm like, wait a second, I can build a server. I can host this in my own little rack. And so it kind of just exploded from that point forward. And yeah, living in Fremont, going to the data center a lot early on, I learned a lot. <laughs> I saw a lot. And then we expanded and expanded and expanded. And then I joined EGI. And did you learn more how to do things or how not to do things or a little bit of both? You got to throw me into the deep end and you hope that I can swim. And that's the only way to learn things. You got to learn by well, fire. Bill yeah. was at the, the groundbreaking of web development hosting as well. He fell in that space and sort of did the same thing, right? Well, I started hosting it on my own because I was too dumb to know what, a, what a, it was 96. There weren't really that many data centers out there. So yeah. I used my bar mitzvah money to, to buy a Sun Netra Spark and Netscape Enterprise Server and got a, I don't even know if we had a T1. I, I don't know. I don't even know what kind of fractional T1. And then somehow went to college in the middle and yada, yada, yada. But I have not managed to hold on to my hair as well as Scott has. So I imagine Scott has done it better. <laughs> well, I didn't have gray hair at the beginning. So now I have all this gray hair. So well, I don't people know. pay money for that now. Are you kidding me? That's uh, that's silver exactly. fast. You can earn the, uh, those wingtips. Those wingtips. <laughs> and if you get like, Phil's glosses, Gosh, maybe I need to send me some glasses and I'll be cool. Like yeah. You should show them the glasses I gave you in a bill. It's yeah, Iron Man. All right. Did you mention a movie? What was it? It was a digital domain movie. I want to say it could have been Titanic, but maybe it was another movie. But yeah, one of the professors at our school said, hey, you know what? I'm working a digital domain. I think you'd be great. And I'm like, ah, I'm almost done with college. I got to finish. So like, I have to finish. Like you're 99% done and you, you have to finish. For me, I had to finish. And then I walked away and then the rest is kind of history, starting my own little thing. And it's kind of interesting. My first job was actually working for this coming S3 graphics, or was it S2 graphics? I always get S3 containers, <laughs> different uh, storage right. with Amazon. But yeah, but like you did a graphics company and they had a MP3, Rio MP3 player back in the day before there was an iPod. And it's kind of weird. Like I did their website stuff and some graphic stuff. And still didn't really understand Apache too well at that time, but that transitioned super fast after like 9-11. I kind of got laid off the day after 9-11 and I'm like, oh no. So the whole world kind of spiraled and I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to start my own thing. It was getting college. Let me do this forever. And one thing led to another thing and got connected with my current group, which is crazy. So now you've been exposed to the UI, the UX, the development. Piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was the transition time? Or how did you transition physical design, build, and operation of the data center? So OpenColo itself, we built our first data center in 2019. So more like 2010, 2011, I'm kind of doing web development stuff, building servers for people, 
connecting them to a, a layer two switch and not really doing anything layer three at the time and then kind of expanding off of that, then getting taste of layer three, figuring out BGP for the first time and kind of getting it working, kind of not getting it working, but mastering it in the process. And then, yeah, I was just living in other people's data centers for a really long time. So we're kind of at this scale point where we had hundreds and hundreds of cabinets with different providers and running a, a network and selling bare metal forever. It was kind of a natural progression. And I'm like, wow, if we have an opportunity to build our own data center, I want to do it totally different. I, I don't want to be like asked, why am I at your data center? Why are you here? You should be inviting like, hey, you're obviously here for a reason. You're paying that person's salary in a sense. Why not give them amazing customer service? Why not make it open? Oh, I totally get it. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you got to treat people nice and you got to be transparent with stuff. I hated like sometimes there would be an outage or some issue anywhere in some data center. The network could be the reason. It could be physical power or whatever. But when you ask them like, hey, what happened? You didn't always get a straight answer. You kind of have to know the people who actually work there who could maybe hint at what really was a problem. I never want us to be like that. If we make a mistake, we'll fall on our sword. We will tell you we made a mistake and we will figure out how to never make that mistake ever again. It's amazing how little people recognize, and this is true with the largest companies out there, like the sanitizing impact of sunlight, how understanding people would be if you're open, but the, the obfuscation, the obscurity yeah. of trying to like manage someone's emotions and how easy it is to tell that you're making up, oh, the flux capacitor went bad, but uh, sure. you wouldn't understand that. Don't worry about it. It's a one in a million shot, Doc, one in a million shot. <laughs> exactly. um, it sounds like a lot of your experience came essentially from fixing the airplane while it was in the air, which is what all of us of that generation had to do, right? There was no yeah. data center for dummies uh, book that you can read. It was you fix, you yeah. break, you fix, you do all that stuff. And, and that was before Google existed. I think Google started in what, 97, 98, mm -hmm. but there wasn't like a, a traditional search that you could put in like, how, what is BGP? What is Apache? So how did you go about learning that stuff? It's always interesting to me to try to see if we can articulate what it was that made your mind go like, this is a problem that I can solve and let me figure it out by. It's more like throwing the keyboard at the monitor a few times. Yeah. <laughs> so I had the benefit of making good friends with some of the network guys at a, a couple of different ISPs and asking them like, hey, I really got to figure out how to do this BGP thing and OSPF and static routing. We're new to this. And I just said, Hey, can you show me, show me something. Give me a taste of like how to do it right. Like, I don't want to read the book. The book is this big and there's five different volumes and it's too much. And I don't really need to understand the full theory. I just need to get something that operates and works and functions properly. So initially it was just uh, one guy kind of came over and said, Hey, I'll buy you beer, buy you dinner, whatever you want. And show me something cool. And a little bit of knowledge and of actual something that functions properly became the beginning of stuff. And then I interacted with more people in the Nanog community. And then they, they had BGP communities. And I'm like, okay, I got to figure out communities. Like, is this how you do it? And trial by error. But we never broke anything. So I was really mindful, like, hey, don't break anything. Try it, but be ready to fix it or revert it right back to what it was before. But we just did slow slow after time after time and we just figured out how he kept his hair and how it didn't i broke, i broke plenty of stuff i know yeah. i was never smart enough not to break anything but look it's amazing you make a point yeah. that i think a, a lot of people focus on trying to understand the entire element of it and trying to understand at such a foundational level 
that it's impossible to get up to speed because you don't have time. Things are moving so quickly that it's nice to go back and to piece it together afterwards. But there's yeah. so much value in getting a sample config and trying to like recreate Absolutely. how that configuration goes. And I, I think people tend to be paralyzed by the overall complexity of something. And we've almost got the entire alphabet, OSPF, BGP, ABCD, LMNOP. I think SIS, just throw that in there. Yes. Well, and now we're doing everything 100% BGP. So that's, that's a little bit different. But even beyond like just the network side, on the data center side, I never ran a data center before. I was just kind of a participant of a customer in the data center and seeing people run around with their heads chopped off going, oh my God, the UPS just blew up in our face. Oh my gosh, we dropped load, but we spent hundreds of millions of dollars to make sure we never go down. What happened? Oh yeah, sorry. It was a, a battery string or a battery in a string that failed and it just happened to fail at the right time. We're testing something and it was working a week ago, but oh no, whatever can go wrong, wrong. It does go yeah. wrong. For those listening at yeah. home, drop load is not a euphemism. It, it, he actually meant like the production computer. Power load, yeah. Went down, <laughs> the power went out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I try to ask like smart questions when we're building our own site and why, like the best way to learn something is just ask why, why? Like the annoying little kid, why daddy, why, why, why? And then question like, well, I see everyone's doing it this way, but why, why are you doing it that way? Is it just because that's what someone else did? Or can we be reinventing some things that might actually save a bunch of money or we don't have to go to the extreme, super complicated, figure out every little thing. Let's simplify. I feel like the biggest sites that failed or went down got super complicated. So keep it simple, stupid, yeah, totally. and then check your typical boxes. Power will go down from the utility. Well, how do you make sure you don't go down? A UPS string. Okay, with batteries. And then a generator or a battery string now connecting all that stuff. So yeah. The balance of like theoretical design versus practical application, I think is always one, especially as someone entrepreneurial that's trying to run one of these things versus someone in a back room that's trying to design something that is tier four or whatever ridiculous moniker they have. But when one thing fails, they don't actually have the practical knowledge of what actually happens in that world. I think coming to it from the standpoint of a customer that's actually utilizing the service gives you a lot more insight into how you would design it because that's how you would want it if you were a customer is much more interesting than thinking the best because you have every theoretical knowledge of how power systems work. And you have to hire good people too. You, you got to trust the designers that are, you're working with and everyone has an idea. Everyone has an opinion. You just got to breathe all that in and then make a decision like, okay, that sounds wonderful, but what's the cost of that? Oh, that's a billion dollars. Well, we can't afford that, but this is a hundred million dollars. Oh, that's kind of closer to what we can afford, but still like a lot of money and you got to have a business at the end of the day, but you also, note to sell, note to sell, I don't want to be calling at three o'clock in the morning because something failed. Like, yeah, call me if something died, but I hope we're not down. And luckily for us, hopefully <laughs> it's not the client that's calling you and telling you that there's an outage, but note to self, Scott can afford a hundred million dollars just in case. No, we're, no way. <laughs> foundation sponsor. It's, it's a simple check. I can help it's, you. I can help people with their hundred million dollars and design something awesome. For them. <laughs> yeah. What's one of your favorite things that you currently do in your capacity as CTO? That's a great question. It's being able to touch a lot of different technologies and look at kind of the vision of where we are now and then where we want to be. I come from a network background in a sense, because that's what I was doing for the longest time. I'm very passionate about the network. I feel like a data center without a network is useless and a data center with a ton of network, but no power is also useless. So you need to find the happy medium. 
but yeah, I feel like going to conferences and meeting a bunch of smart people and learning about new things is definitely one of those kind of cool gifts that you can go and check out nice stuff. So I don't know. Yeah. Probably I mean, just hanging out with cool people like us. Just huh? hang, yeah, hang out with you and Bill. When you come over, it's fun. <laughs> What's been one of the most challenging things in your role? And the reason why I ask this question is because sure. you're like one of those individuals that's actually moved on from different roles and different capacities within the sector. And coming in from a network layer or even from a design or UI layer into the sure. physical layer and having those conversations, how has that transition been? Has the industry been open and welcoming with subject matter experts when they're talking about CDF or thermal imaging and or yeah. power quality distribution, uptime, so on and so forth? For starters, was that challenging? And secondly, how do you keep up with the constant evolution of the sector, particularly when it comes down to subject matter experts and those conversations? I think that for us, like we're a small company, so yes, I might be quote CTO, but I also do a lot of other things too. So it's the small business mentality of, I have to wear many, many hats. But yeah, if you look at the sector as a whole, like being in Silicon Valley, you see extremes, like the total extreme with the extreme. And then here's what we're still doing. So I think for us, it's more of, we're not gonna be all things for all folks. So I'm not gonna do full water immersion technology tomorrow, like we're going to get there when the cost to entry is less. Let the really big hyperscale companies figure it out, optimize it, and then let's go into that direction. Like we don't have to be first for everything. And that's kind of like a little bit refreshing from my perspective on how we're kind of leading in some ways, like we're leading by not leading. We're leading by still being consistent and still being here. But yeah, I don't know. It's like, it's a good question. I, I have to think about that more because I'm on the AFCON stuff and I, I see a lot of crazy ideas and it's all very possible provided you can execute it efficiently and with a revenue stream behind it, at least for my world, like you could be the next awesome AI company, but you're going to spend a considerable amount of money to run your AI workloads. So you better yeah, I mean, it's sure a, that yeah. that engine at the background is going to make you tons and tons and tons of cash or you got deep pockets from some investor. Yeah. Who's I mean, you, there's no question. You yeah. need to have patience. You need to have patience yeah. to see where the industry goes and a recognition that as people think of technology in general as something that moves at, at, at a lightning speed, and it really does. But at our core, what we do has been the same for the last 30 years. Copper touching copper, glass touching glass, large air-conditioned rooms. The densities have gone up and down and, and all around. I, I think that keep it simple, stupid mentality that you have yeah. is, is the right way to look at all this stuff, overcomplicating yeah. it, rarely leads to success. Right. Yeah. I'm just looking at all the amazing AI stuff coming out. And I think at the end of the day, the vendors who are building these amazing supercomputers, they have to have something involved in how to cool that amazing stuff too. Or there has to be a revolution and maybe how to do that same AI workload with significantly less power. So you are actually consuming way less to do the same level of thing. And I think- Which means if, you're going to end you up with get... so many overbuilt facilities. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's going to be those 400 megawatt campuses with like 100 kilowatts of, of usable load for all the right. more efficient GPU workloads. Yeah, well, maybe that's going to happen. There's some cool chip companies coming out that are next gen that are like, whoa. And cool chip uh, with, you know, ChatGPT. My, my kids probably need ChatGPT more than me. <laughs> what are some of the industry trends that you're looking at? So we built a pretty efficient data center at for where we are on our current uh, power loads. I think if I'm zooming out, just putting on like what we could do in the super future, it would be great 
if AI can really integrate into every aspect of every sensor in the data center and we can pull and collect all that information to kind of guess when there's going to be a problem and not be looking at trend data that we're looking at all the time, like, yes, we can trend this forever, but if we can add some super smarts into all that information and those specific parts and diodes and different actuators and like, just know like, hey, this is going to fail, guys. Like this one model and this generation of whatever, it's going to die in six months. You better figure this out. Cooling technology for sure. Immersion cooling or on-ship cooling. I think that I was like a original overclocker. I remember building my first overclocked system and saying, hey, here, we're going to put a, a water cooling on the chip. Like, hey, now we're going to look at doing that at crazy scale. <laughs> so what is that going to look like? And then on the network's perspective, that's mind-boggling. Just how much information is going to be consumed. 800 gig. There's some amazing 800 gig stuff that's coming out that I've seen. And it's awesome. It's crazy. I don't even know how they keep on going. Like, and then they'll have 1.6 and two terabits and five terabits per second. Like that's where is all this data kind of go, go to? And then what is your life going to look like on your phone? Like your iPhone 200 in the future, what is that going to look like? Is there even going to be a phone? Well, iPhone, just a no, chip? it's just, it's neuro. <laughs> yeah. Elon, Elon Musk is going to burrow into your brain and then you're just going to think about who you want to talk to. And then you're going to ask. He's going to know where I need to go. Else. So that's, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> so it'll be just like the minority report. In a good way. The positive <laughs> parts. Oh, so, yes, yes, totally. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Nothing. So in the grand scheme of things, we talk about workloads, work densities. How do you feel about quantum and that changing the landscape of the data centers? Sure. So I think about quantum computing and being able to decrypt maybe the encryption that we have today. And probably there's a lot of company or countries and other things that are out there reading all our email potentially or decrypting everything. I think that's going to, it's so new, it, but it seems like it's a thousand X more than we have today. Even maybe that's not even a right number. It's probably significantly larger than that. Until it's here, it's hard to really think about it, but I, I, it's in, in my mind, it's a little bit scary. Because you can you can do potentially a lot of harm to fix or a lot of good you know, as well or a lot of good yeah I, I mean, mean privacy maybe you have less privacy potentially so there's going to be a quote unquote quantum leap for everybody you're going to have to upgrade our, all your stuff your new way of doing things is we know we know how good people are at adopting the latest and greatest security <laughs> technologies nobody try to check my email with a password password it's a capital P. <laughs> It just changed yeah, yeah. the capital letters. That's the, your right. new way. Yeah. It's an at sign. It's an at sign. No one will guess that. Exactly. No. All right. What, what, what is Check some of the right cool now. tech that you're looking at for you as a user? Me as a, the coolest tech for as a user. I'm, I'm excited for super augmented reality being a real thing, potentially. Like, wouldn't that be nice to actually have a proper. Vision Pro is right around the corner. Yeah. Like, you know, my hands on one of those early. That'd be pretty neat. So. Especially if I can do it on an airplane, then now we're talking next gen. Hey, I'm on the watching this giant screen, this movie theater experience on an airplane. If I could do that, that would be that'd be next gen. Yeah, I'm kind of me personally. That would be super super neat. I'm a a big movie guy. And I, I love a big screen at home and lots of audio and stuff like that. So to be immersed in that reality would be pretty cool. It would be great if it could be untethered. I can imagine walking my dog with the screen. Yeah, and then having virtual reality in my reality, like that's maybe a little bit too crazy, but that would be the kind of cool uh, Halloween costume that could be a reality at some point. <laughs> How do you keep up with all the technology around us? 
honestly, I don't think you can really keep up. You just have to embrace where you are in your specific moment and say, hey, there's going to be something amazing that's coming forward. Who is adopting this? You may not want to be first in every little thing. I tend to want to see the coolest thing first and go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. We should jump onto that. But you kind of have to take a pause and say, is this company going to be around for a while? Is someone else going to figure out this is not going to work as intended? You got to be cautious on all that. I think we just found the financing and the finance element of his upbringing right there. Be bold, but be cautious. Be bold with someone else's $100 million. But when it's yours, just let's, let's, yeah. let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Let's just see. Yeah, exactly. Let's just see. Well, well, what are yeah. some of the key takeaways, key lessons? If you were to look back at your life and your career, what are some of the key takeaways and key lessons? That's a great question. I feel like in my world, we're on 24-7. Like the data center runs 24-7. The network runs 24-7. There's going to be something wrong. There's going to be a bad day. There's going to be good days. Really to relax, be mindful of the situation. Don't think the worst case scenario. I felt like when we had some weird network problems in one of our European locations, we're going to lose all our customers. But then in reality, we had an app running that was doing ad, some ad revenue, and we had way more impressions that day. So because the network is restarting in a, something, in a funky way, and it wasn't because of us, it just... Some fiber. Is that, what, is, what is that producer's line? Sometimes you make more with a flop than you do with a hit. Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty much what it was. So I'd say like, if I had to go back in time and tell myself like, hey, have a little more risk and also be okay with taking the risk, but also don't stress out about every little thing because everything's going to be all right. Oh, it's going to be all right. I love that. Isn't right. there a song? Yeah. Yeah. We I mean, shake, like the, we shake, try, you work hard mind. all the time and just, yeah, have fun. Have fun where you can. Yeah, look, I think um, if, you, if your heart is in the right place, it's all about like balancing what your focus is. Everyone's going to fall down at some point, right? It's just a yeah. matter of how you handle it and, and how transparent you are. And, and we, we live yeah. in a world of accountability. To kind of put a fine point on it, obviously our goal both with the podcast and certainly with our foundation mm -hmm. is to kind of bring, demystify our world for the next generation. My yeah. kids are nearly seven and 11. And if the iPad stops working, they freak out and they were in yeah. like their strollers going through data centers. So what are your thoughts on kind of maybe human capital deficit, the disconnect between the use of technology that we are all beholden to and the world that you live in, which is the foundational world that powers all that stuff, which exists a lot in between your ears, but to the average person that is leveraging technology, they don't really know that you exist. Yeah, actually, it's, it's cool for Nomad Futurist. Like if we could bring your interns into our world, I love giving people the first tour of a data center at OpenColo. It's kind of cool. I just figured you're going to remember the first data center you ever went into. So hopefully we set the bar really high. So when they go into someone else's older data center, like bring them to Hurricane after that in Fremont, because it's well, still there. I'm sure, right? so, yeah, Mike's awesome. So you got to give him props. <laughs> no, dude, nobody gives him more props than I do, but that's the thing, right? You learn the lessons yeah. and things evolve, right? So they, yeah. the difference between legacy data center, which is just my world, and a, a more modern type of data center is, is still. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, for like from the... It's, I think it's a worth ethic thing more than anything. Our, our generation, we work hard and we just keep on trucking the whole time. We get the job done. And if it's 20 hours or 30 hours, you're going to be there for 30 hours. So kind of instilling that work uh, mindset into the younger generation, I think that's probably the biggest challenge. I, getting my kids to do 
extra stuff to be quote unquote proactive as my life, my wife likes to say, proactive. Let's be proactive, people. <laughs> I don't want to remind you about every little thing. So if people can own and own their their specific niche in their job and just own it with ownership and be prideful of what they're doing, that's what's I think lacking in the industry as a whole. My my kids sleep late during the week and wake up early on the weekends, right? So it's it's yeah. not about oh, their inability to be focused, right? It's about yeah. following their passion. They're passionate about waking up early because they get to maximize whatever it is me as a bad parent allow them to do on. Yeah, uh, and you it's know, totally our fault, by the way, too. <laughs> no question, it's always our fault. <laughs> Honey, it's yeah. my fault. I'm sorry. Right, right. It's sorry it's recorded. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that one time. Were, that one time. That one. If you were to do. It all over again. Mm -hmm. Would you do anything different? I think it's hard not to do things to think hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, it, it's that's a good question. I like where I'm at right now. So if I had to give up who I am today because of a previous choice, I don't know. Can I make things better? Yes. Can I learn faster? Yes. Can I maybe not purchase this over that? Yeah, that would have been smart choices. But I am genuinely happy with where I'm at and. If I didn't meet my wife in college, then I wouldn't have two beautiful kids. So I think I would maybe try to do the same things again and just accept that mistakes were made, but you can't learn unless you made a mistake. So nothing's going to be perfect. So yeah, I'd maybe make it maybe better investments in some early stocks if we can go back in time. <laughs> That'd always be a billionaire, but yeah. <laughs> Rich Biff from Back to the Future was always the best. Yeah, yeah. But you can't turn into that bad guy. So right, that's the problem. You that's, the, the that's the that's the fallout. That's the mm -hmm. fallout. So what would you tell the little, or what do you tell the little Brookshires? I'm like, hurry up, get your work done. Well, one kid work slower, and then the other kid work faster. So I have the yin and the yang in, in my house. <laughs> Two boys, but yeah, I tell them like, hey, embrace AI. You are the real first generation that can truly use AI natively, like we could use maybe a video game controller on an Atari. We had cell phones, sort of not really. They've had cell phones their whole life, but now you have AI enabled world. So do AI properly and figure out also, how can you make money in this thing too? It's all about leadership in my, in my household. Like I want to raise up good leaders, recognize, hey, you may not be the smartest, but you could be a great leader. Show through your own examples of how to do things and teach people. Like one youngest son, he's really into climbing and he's a great coach. Unless he's coaching me, right. but he has patience until he, talk, he talks to me. But he's so amazing just to like see him pick up the little things and encourage other climbers and other friends to do great things. So that's what it's at for me. Like AI's number one, do this. This is going to change everything and be a great leader. What would your general message be to our audience and the young generation that you're trying to expose the sector to? Don't give up. Learn from the old guys. Be patient with the old guys. Some of us are stuck in our ways. Um, if you want to learn something, ask great questions. I think most people want to teach other people stuff. So just continue to ask questions. Maybe you can't ask in the specific moment, but after things are resolved, like, hey, can you show me this more? I think a lot of us are totally willing to go the extra mile and give people the opportunity to really explain it. Maybe we have to be responsible in the moment to take over, but afterwards, like we have to give up that illusion of control and let them figure it out, but figure it out like in a healthy way. Like just don't say, Hey, I figured it out on my own. 
So you should too. Well, let me fast pass you into here's how I did it. Here's the things we ran into. This is how this works. Do you got questions? Of course you do. And don't be afraid to ask questions. I, I feel like please ask me questions all day long. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I love that. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Scott, yeah. thank you so much for taking the time yeah. to uh, join us today on our uh, podcast. Lovely to see you, and I can't wait to see you in person relatively soon here. Yeah, love to see you guys. Thanks, Scott. Thank Appreciate you. it. See ya. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back, currencies will rebound, businesses will go on, and we will all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. At Nomad Futures, we are confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.org. And thank you for listening and subscribing as well as your continued support.